0: So, I don't know about you, I'm feeling very alive tonight after this service. But what's really interesting is that we're actually about to skate into a Jewish season that is about loss. In just about a month, uh, we'll come to Tisha B'Av, which is a commemoration of the destruction of the temple and the Kabbalists say of all destruction. And for those of us who are living in this climate where the summer is such, a, such an alive time, it's a strange time to be encountering death. So I want to start by facing into this energy. And I want to tell you about a, uh, a ritual, a uh, Tisha B'av ritual of death and rebirth as an introduction to our parsha. So last Tisha B'Av, I was at the Isabella Friedman Jewish Retreat Center. I know many, many of you have been there. Uh, I was there to co-lead the Kohenet program, which is a program in Jewish women's spiritual leadership. And our community was asked to guide the combination of many communities that were there through the Tisha B'Av day. And we wanted to create a ritual that would allow us all to take a journey. We appointed some of our students as spiritual guardians. They stood at the door of the synagogue. And they served bread made with ashes that we had just baked together. This is a traditional Ashkenazi dish for before Teshabaab. And anointed everyone who entered with the ashes of the bread. And at the center of the room, we had made a design out of river stones, a kind of mandala. And as the reading of the Book of Lamentations began, we asked that everyone, at whatever moment they were called, would come and take a stone away from this mandala, this uh, design that we had made. And we meant this, uh, if it's not already clear, as a reminder of the destruction of Jerusalem, of the taking away of the walls, the foundations, the inhabitants, and also as a reminder of our own present reality in which people are still expelled from their homes, still enslaved, and still victims of war, as they were 2,000 years ago. And surrounding this center, we had invited four women to act as mekononot. Now, this is an ancient role that appears in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, professional mourning women. Uh, this is a tradition that we know we have lost in our, own, uh, in our own culture, although there are other cultures who still have it. Most of us have never heard professional lamenting women. Uh, but what we asked uh, these women to do was to wail during the reading of the book of Lamentations, to give us the visceral experience of mourning, and as the stones began to disappear, this wailing began to happen, and eventually the reading ended, and the sounds died down, and the center of the room was empty. 24 hours later, we got back together. There was a single stone at the center of the room, and as we sang, each member of the whole community came forward to replace their stone. And they spontaneously began to create spirals and vine shapes, a new pattern, not the old one. And the Mekonenot began to take the shawls off their heads. And some of us began to cry. Because in seeing the rebuilding of Jerusalem, we were seeing the rebuilding of our own loss. It was a kind of being reborn. And then we all broke our fast together. And I'm telling you about this ritual. Because this Torah portion of is about the human struggle with loss and with death. And every piece of it is about death. In this parasha, we have Moses' punishment that he will never see the promised land. Miriam dies in this parasha. Aaron dies in this parasha. So in a sense, we have the loss of the entire leadership contingent of the Israelites in the wilderness. And the parasha begins with a mysterious death ritual. It's known as the ritual of the Parah Aduma, the red heifer. And Jewish sages of antiquity believed that this was the most inexplicable ritual known to Judaism. I don't think it's inexplicable. I think this is a shamanic ritual. And by shamanic, what I mean is there, is, there are in many traditions uh, practitioners uh, and, and uh, people who are gifted at journey to the spirit world. Shaman is a Siberian word, and the closest Hebrew equivalent would be Navi, which is a prophet, someone who brings messages. And in order to be initiated into this, this task of bringing messages, a shaman has to, be, uh, has to encounter death. And without this encounter, a shaman can't do his or her work. Joan Halifax, a modern shamanic scholar, writes, shamans are healers, seers, and visionaries who have mastered death. So the ritual of the red heifer has some of these overtones. In the Torah, the sacred shrine, the mishkan, or the temple, is a space that represents the perfection of the world. And this shrine has to be kept free of ritual impurity. And the way that you get ritual impurity, tumah, I'm going to work with that word in a second, but that's how we usually translate it, is by coming into contact with the forces of time. That means fertility or death. Death, menstruation, childbirth, nocturnal emission, and illness make you tameh. Removal of the presence of these forces makes you tahor. And there's certain kinds of chuma, the kind you get from coming close to a dead body, that you can't get rid of any other way but, but through the, the ashes of the red heifer. To my understanding, Tuma is a later priestly concept imposed on this feeling of eeriness that we get when we're between worlds, when we're between places. And when you encounter, encounter death, birth, fertility and illness, you are between the worlds of life and death. Something is being brought into being or something is leaving. You're in a liminal state, and that's frightening, and it's also sacred. And that's a different state, at least according to the Torah, from the state of timelessness, which is the state of the shrine. And you could think about Shabbat, right, that sort of castle in time. You could even say that there are two kinds of sacredness. There's timeless sacredness, which we call tahara, or purity. And there's a life-death sacredness, a liminal sacredness, which is called tum'ah, and is connected to the temple of the body. And over time, that liminal sacredness gets farther and farther removed from the central shrine. It gets regarded as dangerous or impure. And the ritual of the red heifer is meant to remove this tuma that people get from contacting a dead body. And there are four elements in this ritual. The ashes of the red heifer, which has to be completely red. You should be thinking about the color red. Cedar wood, hyssop, and crimson thread. These things have to be burned. Their ashes have to be uh, mixed with water. And only this can cleanse a person so that they can go back into the temple or the sanctuary after contact with death. That person is now clean. But the person who made the ashes and sprinkled them is now unclean. And they have to go outside and be purified. So the ashes make the impure pure and the pure impure. And this is what the rabbis of the Talmud think is confusing and weird. And they tell a story in which someone who is not Jewish is inquiring about the meaning of this ritual. And that person is given a meaning. And then after that person goes away, the students say to the rabbi, so give us the real answer. And the rabbi says, and they don't say this about any other ritual in the Torah. He says, you know, this ash potion doesn't really work. It's only because we respect God's decrees that we do this bizarre, primitive ritual. But really, it doesn't work. Okay, so the Ishbitzer Rebbe, you know, in the Hasidic period, many, many, many years later, doesn't agree. He has a very fascinating thing to say about the ritual. He says that these four things in the ritual, the thread and the hyssop and the cedar wood and the, and the ashes of the, of the heifer, represent the four elements of the world. And he quotes the Zohar that says that fire, air, earth, and water are the roots of all things and the sources of all things and everything is grounded in them. And these four things are represented by these four, um, by these four elements of the ritual. Uh, by the way, those four elements also represent different faces of God. And where all of these elements come together, then you get holiness, and what the Ishbitzer Rebbe adds is that when you've been touched by death, you've been touched by gvurah. And Givurah is the forces of limitation in the world. It's when you knock up against your mortality. It's when you knock up, knock up against when nothing can be perfect. And when you come into those contact with those forces of givurah, you might get angry and you might get depressed. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I would bet that when you've uh, encountered those right mortality, loss, finitude, Right? It makes you angry or it makes you sad. And this four-element potion is supposed to somehow help you transcend that. Why? Because being rejoined to the whole is the healing for those feelings. It doesn't take away the loss. It doesn't take away the pain. But it allows you to transform it because you put it, you put it in a bigger context. You put it in the context of the tapestry of, of all Then four elements become the world, the world that is greater than the loss. And to recommit to the world is to recommit to something greater than the loss. What I find really powerful about this ritual that our tradition thought was kind of weird is that while eternity is holy, to really understand our own holiness, we have to understand the cycles of birth and dying that all matter undergoes. The ashes of the red heifer don't point us away from death. They point us through it. They remind us of our place in the fabric of time. And the red heifer, the color of blood, is a symbol of the profound series of transformations that is life on this planet. And I call this ritual shamanic partly because it is one of the few rituals of the sacrificial cult that makes priests impure. And in fact, the priest is so impure that like someone who's been in contact with a dead body, they can even make somebody else to me. The priest has to be able to also encounter death to be effective. And to me, this teaches that the mentor, guide, rabbi, parent, or friend can't stand outside the cycles of being and not being of strength and vulnerability. You want a guide who can go there with you, not one who sends you there and stays in some perfect state. And that's not what leadership or love is really about. The two deaths at the end of the Parsha really teach us about this. When the high priest Aaron goes up to the mountain to die, Moses takes off all of his clothing and puts it on his son, as if to say, this is now your time. We're relieving you of your responsibilities. This is is the moment. And Aaron is a true shaman. He's not afraid. And according to the legend, the Shekhinah kisses Aaron and seals up the cave. And to me, that cave represents the possibility of facing the whole without hiding from its parts. When Miriam the prophetess dies, she doesn't have any heirs, and she doesn't have any transferring of power, and she doesn't even have a funeral, according to the Torah. But the sages say that her death is like the red heifer, because as the red heifer atones and transforms the people, so does her death. And after she dies, the people have nothing to drink. And the sages say that there's this well that's been following her like a puppy through the wilderness, and that it disappears when she dies. And now that she's dead, the well is gone, and this is why Moses and Aaron have to go find a rock and speak to it and ask it for water. That well comes back. That well moves around the world. And in fact, the Shulchan Aruch, which is a law code written by a mystic, says you should go out every Saturday night and draw water from wells. Why? Because Miriam's well is in all the waters, and it might be moving through your well at that particular moment, so you should go and get some of this water. And I feel that this well is very very hopeful, because we no longer have the ritual of the ashes of the red heifer. We don't do it anymore. But... Perhaps the legend of the well teaches us that we can get that holy water wherever we go out to draw water, and we can still find that healing not by avoiding our fragility, but by embracing it as our strength. Our strength is that we are inhabitants of the liminal space between the worlds. We are knowers of joy, and we are knowers of loss, and we are all shamans sometimes. Shabbat shalom.